Hello and welcome to another episode of Lupus LA's Your Story, Our Fight podcast. I'm your host, Adam Selkowitz, and right off the top, I want to thank our amazing sponsors at Mallinckrodt Pharmaceuticals and the fantastic team at Gemini Beauty. Today, all the way from New Jersey, I want to introduce uh, this audience to Lauren Fenty. Uh, Lauren was in the medical field prior to her lupus diagnosis, and um, the past nine years uh, has been has been full of sort of, I would say, ups and downs, right, Lauren? Yes. <laughs> yep. Well, welcome to the podcast. I, uh, Thank you. I'm really happy to have you. I, you're a really special person, and I'm, I'm excited for our audience to hear your story. So, so why don't we start, sort of tell me, tell me who Lauren was before lupus. Okay, so Lauren was um, the vibrant, want to shop and be in the mall from the time it opens to the time it closed <laughs> on the weekends, just constantly moving. And um, I would say a little bit more outgoing than before. And um, always wanted to be with my friends and just active, completely like active. I'm ready to do whatever. Um, so that's how it was before. My diagnosis. And then what? And, and what did you first start in, noticing? Um. So the, everything. This whole journey began back in 2013, and um, I noticed weird, like physical symptoms, like joint pain, uh, back pain, muscle pain, um, not being able to like wash dishes, like really simple things were were really difficult to do. Um. So with that being said, now after that diagnosis, things began to slow down. So I wasn't really um, going shopping as much as I was before. I wasn't um, taking public transportation as much as I was before, right? Because then if you have to deal with delays, now you're standing up on your feet and you could cause yourself some pain. Um, but that's, it, 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 it definitely made a, a big difference. You know, how so, quickly were you diagnosed? Like how, so when you, when you started in 2013 feeling your symptoms what were the, what were your next steps um it was a lot of blood work a lot of um like maybe at, i think at that one point i was doing an x-ray just so that they can take a look at everything um and then within two weeks they knew they they just told me what was going on and i'm kind of like well what do you mean because well when the doctor called he said um does anybody in your family have this and i said no <laughs> Like, he's like, nobody? And I'm like, no, like, what is it? Like, what, you know, what's going on? Initially, they thought it was like Lyme disease, but I'm mm -hmm. like Lyme disease. And I was thinking um, that's like when you're, I guess, like out in the woods or something like, something like that or whatever, well, yeah, but yeah. very similar, very similar symptoms, but not quite, not quite that. Mm -hmm. So I had to educate myself on um, what it is, what it means to have a, a, a autoimmune disease. And how to just go about life, make some changes, and I, I realized that I didn't have to. I didn't have to stop everything, but a lot of things needed to slow down. Mm -hmm. A lot of things needed to slow down. Like a basic bike ride wouldn't be how it was prior to the diagnosis. Like you now, you have to take it easy. Now you might need, you know, to wrap your knee and things like that. So it's been, it's been a pretty long, um, long journey, learning experience. It's a part of my story. It's a part of who I am now. And it's kind of like, just like how you have to get up and shower every morning. You have to get up and, you know, know your routine, know how to, you know, go about your day, kind of plan it, and then just, just go from there. It's very unpredictable, though. Very unpredictable. I, I mean, 
I think you're the uh, you're going to be our record time in terms of how fast you got diagnosed compared to every other guest on the podcast I've had. So oh, yeah. I, two weeks is uh, is certainly two. record time because most people go a long time uh, with sort of various symptoms before getting diagnosed. So I think that yeah. I think you're you're really fortunate in that. Did they what what kind of treatment did you start right away? Oh, they started me on steroids. So I did mm-hmm. um, prednisone and um, methotrexate. Um, they were able to, at the time, they were able to give me like Advil and um, Motrin and those sorts of things. I can't take those now. Um, we could get into that a little bit later. But um, those were the main things. And it was a lot of blood work and, you know, different blood tests. And then it just seems like over time, those medications that I just named weren't really doing much for me. And mm-hmm. I spent about maybe eight weeks or so on those. And once we didn't get a result, because, of course, they would monitor my labs, um, we tried something else. So we've tried um, like Imuran, Celsept, mm-hmm. Benlista, Rituxan. Other types of steroids, like the (laughs) list goes on and on and on. And then, of course, when um, I was interested in in trying out some stuff with um, NYU, like Mm -hmm. I have a, my nephrologist is at NYU and there was a few clinical trials that I was interested in, but you can't, you can, you, you, of course you would have to be diagnosed with lupus, but you can't have any prior experience using like prednisone or you would have to have been off it for a few years before they can even consider you for the trial. So um, that was a little bit rocky, but you know, it's something that you, I just worked through. Yeah, no, I mean, and yeah, yeah. the drug trials are always tricky. I mean, I, they, they really, they want to put as many lupus patients in the trial, but their, their protocols are always, always really tough. But I, I admire you for really going after it and trying to dig, 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 and try to find Thank the you. right combination of medicines. Yeah. I think you, you've yep. certainly been on, on the gamut, uh, of, of what's out there. And I think, yeah. Um, who who diagnosed? Was it a, a rheumatologist that diagnosed you originally, or a primary care doctor? It was a primary care doctor because at the time, with the pain, it wasn't like I made an appointment to see the doctor. I went into like a like an urgent care facility mm-hmm. in like excruciating pain. Um, it was it was difficult to walk. It was difficult to sit. Standing for too long was painful. So they they kind of like just wondered like what what could this be and so they're oh okay we'll like like I mentioned before we'll do a couple tests and figure it out I'm like okay so then that's when they were finding like um just like um, I believe it's called the sed rate and yep. the ANA levels yep. and all, like yeah and then they were just high and I'm like well I don't even know how I got this you know right and I was more concerned about not actually having it, but why isn't there something that we can do about it instead of just mm-hmm. kind of like maintaining it? Um, because it doesn't, one thing um, that I notice is that a lot of people don't have access to medication or, you know, certain doctors or it's, 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 it's kind of yeah. difficult. I, I will with. tell you though, I, I mean, what I'm super impressed by is, um, you know, I, I think so many people go out to so many different doctors. So I really commend the urgent care doctors because that's a very rare thing for an urgent care doctor to take it seriously enough to run the right blood tests and to, 
you know, so it, it shows you really how, you know, it doesn't matter where your doctor is, as long as they're inquisitive yeah. and curious and trusting in your symptoms, you know, that's, that to me is my message for all the doctors out there. I don't know how many listen to yeah, us, but, but, you know, it's, it's really about listening to your patient because, yeah. you know, I know in those urgent care facilities, things move really quickly and yeah, for them to really take the time, I, you know, they should be really commended and, I think it's really lucky. You know, I think, I think so many people, it takes referrals, referrals, referrals to find a right rheumatologist, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. And I think, um, I think that's an, an inspiration to people out there who think that it can't be done, um, in the current system we have. And I think, um, you know, that should be encouraging. I think it should be encouraging to other doctors too, to hear your story. I think that would be excellent. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I think that would be so, so you mentioned a nephrologist. So then at some point beyond the joint pain, you went into, into kidney involvement and organ involvement. Yes. Yep. In 2017. So the diagnosis originally was the, for the systemic lupus in 2013, 2017. That's when, um, this is interesting because my gynecologist after doing an annual found that it was a, like my protein levels were a little high. She's like, I think you might want to see, I'm going to give you a referral to see a nephrologist. And so I just took it from there. And so she kind of um, found out, or she kind of led me to the point of, you know, finding a nephrologist. And um, so it's like with the diagnosis, you wouldn't think a primary care doctor would, would, um, uh, would actually, you know, give you that information. And then with a gynecologist, like, oh, here, the, you know, you need to see a nephrologist. It's like, what? So it, it was, it was an interesting path. Yeah. So far but it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great path. I, I think it talks yeah. to about how holistic the system really should be. You know, this is how the system should work. You know, the, the, the gynecologist got to look at the whole person and the, you know, the primary care doctor obviously needs to look at the whole person. I think that's really um, inspirational to me that, that it's out there and that you, you know, you benefited from that. Um, so at the time of your diagnosis or time of your initial symptoms, um, were you, were you, where were you working? What were you doing then? I was a clinical analyst at a hospital in Montclair, New Jersey. Um, and I just, regular day-to-day stuff. You know, I went to um, a a few meetings that day and I came back to my desk and it was like, just like something hit me. It came out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. And then that's Hmm. when I had, I I was, my mom is, my mom lives much further away at the time than I was. And I needed her to drive from where she was to come to my job, to take me to an urgent care center that was back by where she was. And it was just like, I can't, I just couldn't believe how much pain I was in. I'm like, usually I can, I've always been the type to power through stuff, take a Tylenol or don't take a Tylenol mm-hmm. and um, just keep on, just keep going. Um, I couldn't do it that day. Hmm. Did you, now did you day. have symptoms like, and you look back beyond that day, do you look back and go, huh, you know, I always did have this achy knee or this, this sort of like, do you piece it together? In retrospect, I tr- I tried to definitely looking back. Um, growing up, like as a kid, I always had pain, but it was always in um the left leg, but always in one spot. 
Hmm. wasn't in both. And I'm like, does this, could this like possibly be the start of what was going on? I was constantly in pain um, as a kid. And my mom would have to, like, I would cry in the middle of the night and she would hear me come in and she's like trying to massage my legs with like alcohol and stuff. But after the diagnosis, those pains came right back. The same, Hmm. like, and I'm just like, this reminds me of when I was like an eight year old. So those pains came back. Um, Sometimes I will notice them as like a side effect. It would feel very similar. So if I take um, like the rituxan infusion therapy that I was doing, I might feel a little bit of it. But um, it can be to the point where like I'm up in the middle of the night and nothing like nothing works, but I'm just like taking deep breaths through it. Or you try to find like a calming, soothing music. I downloaded the Calm app for when I have <laughs> yeah. those, you know, those those um, <clears throat> moments. But um. Yeah, looking back, I think that it may have been a start. Of, like maybe that's like the start of it, or like I yeah. I don't know. It's very hard it to tell. It was bub- bubbling under the surface there. Yeah, bubbling. Yeah, under the surface yeah. There. I'm like, I wonder if this yeah. is where it started. Yeah. All right, we're gonna take no a quick break. Oh, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, no. Oh, but then for no one in the family to have it, that was just a little bit of a like a, a hard thing to and, deal with. And before we take our break, so after your diagnosis, did anyone else subsequently in your family say, oh, you know what? I've always been feeling this way or that way or, or still nobody, no other lupus in your family. My sisters were tested and um, everyone was negative. That's great. That's great. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk about sort of how your diagnosis has really changed your life, your career, uh, and how you became a lupus activist. So uh, stand by. We'll be right back with uh, more from Lauren Fenty. Lupus LA's fellowship program is an essential part of ensuring the training of future rheumatologists. The nation is experiencing a serious shortage of pediatric rheumatologists. Today, there are approximately 300,000 children diagnosed with rheumatic conditions in the United States but only about 250 practicing pediatric rheumatologists to meet this tremendous need. Call 310-657-5667 or visit our website at lupusla.org to support the efforts of Lupus LA. We are back on the Your Story, Our Fight podcast with our guest today, Lauren Fenty. So Lauren, uh, you mentioned you were a clinical analyst in a hospital. What? Tell me what that does. What do you do? What does that mean? So a lot of that included, um, I was, it was like, you're working with the nurses, but you're also a part of IT. So that division was kind of like clinical informatics. And um, when the nurses had issues with the system, we would go in and help them with um, like assessment planning and um, discharge medications for the patients. And if we had any type of IT issue and we needed downtime, we would assist the nurses with anything that needed to be put on paper. So we did a lot of paper orders or verbal orders. That was pretty much what that was. On top of that, I also um, went around just getting like a patient, just a feel for how, you know, what the patients thought about the experience with um, pretty much the nursing care. That was something that we stayed on top of as well. So it was like patient satisfaction as well as that. Um, so you were really familiar so that's what with I was doing. The, you were really familiar with the medical field and yep. hospitals. And, and so do you think that helped when you were diagnosed, do you had that support system and that network? 
it helped tremendously because you hear some of the medicines that they were prescribing for me. I'm like, oh, I heard that on the third floor. Oh, I heard that, you know, in med surge. And I'm like, some of these things are familiar to me. So it wasn't um, as scary to me. It was more like, oh, it's like discovery. Let's find out like what this really is, what it can do. And that was me, a way of me pushing through like just getting, you know, trying to really get through what this, you know, this whole experience, this whole diagnosis was a lot. So you really like, dove in from the clinical side, from the, from the research, you're a researcher, you're, 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 yeah, and, yeah. and do you think that, um, cause sometimes people who do so much digging and research, it, it's, you know, you can panic, but I think for you, it's, you had to feed that to, to feel comfortable. You had to feed that, uh, feed that beast. Yeah. It's kind of like, I, I think of it when like, um, my dad taught us how to ride a bike. And once you take the training wheels off, you might fall. It's kind of like that. <laughs> like you, you just have to kind of just, just go for it. And if you do, you know, you, you scrape yourself, you get back up and you, you know, you, you have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Otherwise you'll never, you'll never discover what it's like to ride a bike or, you know, you won't learn about lupus. You won't learn about anything. As a dad who is, taught one kid and is teaching the second kid how to ride a bike. I completely relate to that. Um, <laughs> absolutely. So, so tell me when you were diagnosed then did it change your career path? Did it change your trajectory? No, I actually got to a point where I um, wanted to go into nursing school, but then um, once I realized this is what you have to do, it may be a little bit too much. And it was, I kind of pulled back a little bit and just kind of went into research and then research went from um, learning about the medications to now let's dive into autoimmune disease as a whole. Like, what is it? Um, What types are out there? What type of medications are people on? And I kind of just, just went from there where it just became like research. That's how I ended up with, you know, going into, the curiosity of clinical trials and reading about medications that are over in like Germany, but not in the U S yet. And what, and what Mm -hmm. they're doing just in other countries. Mm -hmm. And what about your career? Did you stop working or did you continue working? I kept going. Yeah. So are you still doing the same thing? Um, no, I, I stopped recently. Um, but that's because I had to start, a new a new treatment and that was going on longer than um like what it was before so i might have done say for example benlista once a month now mm-hmm. with the infusions they're once a week so then i have to deal with side effects and things like that so i took time off um and i think that was one of the best decisions i made to focus mm-hmm. on what i have going on right now mm-hmm. because i yep. didn't it wasn't always it was, yeah, like I'm fighting, but I feel like I'm fighting because I'm still pushing and going to work. But that could also be looked in the other way. Like now you're you're pushing and going to work, but you're not taking care of what you need to take care of. Right. And it was always right. that I had to feel like um, like you can do this, like you're, you can power through it. And then I had to realize that that's not always the case. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like you have to slow yep. down sometimes. You have to listen to your body. Like it's okay to sleep all day sometimes. Right, so. right, right. Yep, yeah. yep. It, mm-hmm. absolutely. I think that's... That should be our slogan for the show. It's okay to sleep all day sometimes. <laughs> uh, and then other times it's it's okay to push through and go. And I think I yeah. think both things are true with a lupus patient. Mm-hmm. And it really is, 
it can change from one day to the next day to the next day, you know? Um, So I know when we talked before, I know when you first were diagnosed, there was a lot of fear about your diagnosis. And you talked to me about um, going to a support group. And, And so tell me about your journey about now wanting to share your story and how that, how that evolved. Um, it was just, just over time thinking about how, how, how quick my diagnosis was. Right. And then hearing other stories. Once I joined a support group, I'm, I'm, I was hearing stories about, oh, the doctors don't know what's wrong. They think it's arthritis. They think it's MS. They think it's, you know, ALS or something. And they're not getting the individualized care that they need. Um, at one point, I just started to feel like you can be, you can be a voice. You can be like a vessel for these people. So reach out. And that's what I started to do. And, um, you know, now I help a few, you know, it's, it's not a, it's not a whole lot, but I do talk to a few, um, both women and men, cause you know, right. We both get it. And, um, we just share a lot of information back and forth. We talk about, um, we talk about different states cause they're all over the U S different states and who can get access to what. And I try to help them like, Hey, it might not, it might not be your nephrologist that can tell you or <laughs> go see, start with your primary care doctor. Don't just, you know, you know, get a referral. And then, you know, it's, it's so many different things, but it all, but the journey seemed like it was almost overnight when it comes to um, just the support and reaching out. It seems like it was just something that it, it like it had to happen mm-hmm. because a lot of people don't know about it. Even when I share some of it, sometimes people are like, um, what's that? And then, you know, right. so now I'm explaining like what it is. And um, before getting into that type of support or having those type of support groups, I was attending the walks that they have here on um, in MetLife Stadium in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. And those were yep. really fun. Um, once the pandemic started, of course, we had to, you know, everybody tried to scale back on that. And then I had joined another chapter in new jersey and we were trying to do like the virtual walks and Mm -hmm. try to see how we can do fundraisers but it was so difficult because a lot of what like a lot of outreach i guess to me for from my perspective was being able to be around other people you know Mm -hmm. they it's a Mm -hmm. different it's a different feel you know so that um kind of you know died down a little bit and um now things are just, you know, picking back up again. So I'm still looking to see what um, events I can attend. And as long as I'm feeling good enough to go, if, I, if I'm if i not, of course, they might, you know, stream it somewhere and I'll be able to watch it. So that's yeah, pretty much whole, how that whole thing started. Yeah. I mean, the whole patient care and patient support group business has changed for us on the Lupus LA side. You know, everything had to go virtual. And we're finding that I think some patients really like that. It's much easier for them. They don't have to drive. They don't have to, you know, deal with LA traffic yeah. and and all of that. Yeah. But I also and we're reaching people all over the world. I mean, we're you know, and that's I think a benefit. But I do think there are people that really need that in person, physical contact kind of support. And I hope mm-hmm. you know that we'll be able to get back to that. And I think I think you're absolutely right. You know, it's um, both can be important. And I think we've. We've learned a lot yeah. in with the in within the community about how we can support people virtually, but 
I think now, uh, you know, as the numbers hopefully start to get better or, or lupus patients are able to kind of come out a little bit more that we're able to get back to some level of in-person. And, and I don't know, you know, I'm hoping that some of what we've learned will translate in person. You know, I think, I think people being separated by regions has been really hard and maybe there's a, maybe there are ways for people to travel and, and meet the people they've been speaking with virtually and things like that. So I think, I think your story is an important part of that. Um, I think your sharing and your leadership amongst other lupus patients is is really important um and i you know i thank you for doing that i thank you for telling your story here on the podcast thank you for listening on behalf of the entire team at lupus la we thank you for joining the your story our fight podcast please tune in spread the word and come back for more inspiring lupus stories i'm your host adam selkowitz wishing you good health, and to always remember, your story is our fight.